Hello, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler. We're going to be doing today our fifth part in our Parshat Bo series. We're going to start today in Parak Yudbet, Pasukaf Aleph, in which Moshe gives over the command that God had given to him as to what it is that Am Yisrael is meant to do in order to prepare for the evening of the 14th of Nisan, for the evening of the plague of the firstborn, which is going to facilitate their exodus from Egypt. We open this pasuk with Moshe speaking to the Ziknei Yisrael. Vayikra Moshe lechol Ziknei Yisrael, vayomer alehem, mishchu ukchu lachem tzom lemishpechotechem, vishachatu hapasach. And Moshe calls to all of the elders of Israel, and he says to them, Pull and take for yourselves a sheep for your families and slaughter the Paschal offering. Um, here we have several figures here, which I think we have to we have to pay special attention to. One, of course, is the Ziknei Israel, the elders of Israel who are being solicited here, presumably to fulfill some sort of leadership role. We haven't seen them since the end of chapter four. There as well, Moshe and Aharon gather together the elders of Israel. This is, of course, in fulfillment of God's command to Moshe at the sneh, at the burning bush, when God told him, go and gather the elders of Israel and give them this, uh, what seems to be a leadership role. Now, in that story, we noted at the end of chapter four that the Ziknei Israel, the elders of Israel, did not seem to desire to assume this leadership role. That certainly is the approach of the various Midrashim that question that that uh, really asked this question: What happened to these elders of Israel? And here as well, whatever it is that we understand that their role is meant to be, and the Ramban offers several possible um, uh, several possible roles here that they are meant to undertake. The Abarbanel suggests some other roles. Whatever it is that they are meant to do, it remains speculative because they actually don't seem to take upon themselves that role. So Moshe calling here the Ziknei Yisrael, the elders of Israel, in order to accomplish something, seems to be rather pointless um, or certainly futile because they don't seem to assume that role. Another point that I wanted to make here is that Moshe uh, is the focus here of calling these Ziknei Yisrael and speaking to them. Uh, Haron uh, seems to be uh, seems to be present from what we're going to see later in verse 28, but he is not actually named here as uh, an active participant in uh, conveying these mitzvot to the elders of Israel. In any case, Moshe says to them, Mishchu ukhu, and um, the has discussed at great length this double wording, Mishchu, which means to pull, ukhu, which means to take. Uh, there are several ways in which we could understand this double wording. Um, the Syriac translation of this pasuk seems to indicate that this is a phrase which suggests urgency, quickly go and take, right? There's an urgency that is about this kind of double um, uh, language here of taking the lamb. Uh, the a well-known Midrash suggests that Mishchu has almost a negative element to it. Pull yourselves away from your usual idolatry, from the idolatry of Egypt, and take for yourselves now, a sheep, which we've noted, at least according to Midrashic understanding, is a sort of the antithesis of the way in which they regard Egyptian um, uh, 
practices, Egyptian idolatrous practices. So pull yourself away from these Egyptian idolatrous practices and take for yourself now a sheep. And so what we have here, at least according to the Midrash, is a moment of separation, a moment in which Am Yisrael separates itself from the practices that they were engaged in during their time in Egypt. This, of course, is also indicated in the 20th chapter of the book of Yechezkel, that Amisra'el were engaged in idolatrous practices in Egypt. And therefore, this pasuk seems to suggest, at least in the reading of the Midrash, that before they can now go and begin to worship God, they first have to in they, they first have to do this act of rejecting, rejecting the Egyptian worship. Now Moshe goes on in Pasuk Kafbet and uh, tells them what to do once they've slaughtered this uh, paschal lamb. Ulkachtem agudat ezo, utvaltem badam masher basaf, vihigatem el hamashkof, ve el shetei hamezuzot min hadam asher basaf, veatem lo teitseu ish mi petach beto ad boker. And you should take for yourself a bunch of hyssop plants, and you shall dip it into the blood that is in the basin, and then you should dab it on the lintel and on the two doorposts from the blood that is in the basin, and you, you shall not leave each person the entrance to his house until the morning. So here we have a focus on the blood service, right? In other words, what we don't focus on or what Moshe does not explicitly tell the people that we actually saw in the last section is what kind of lamb to take, when to bring the sacrifice, how to uh, eat the sacrifice, all sorts of laws and details that we saw in the previous section uh, are not explicitly repeated here. Instead, what we see is a focus on the blood service, what they should do with the blood. Um, and this, I think, perhaps uh, has has several different ideas that are um, that 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 we have to note here. One is that, of course, it it seems to sort of close the section uh, that opened with makat dam, right, the the uh, plague of blood. Here we have this almost movement in which we um, we we recall the plague of blood, and it closes, uh, sort of brings us first circle and closes the story that began by punishing the Egyptians with the real goal of the story, which is salvation for the Jews. Now, um, generally speaking, uh, blood seems to be something negative in the Tanakh. It uh, represents death. It, it's, it certainly is not allowed to be eaten. It has to be poured out. It has to be covered, um, certainly in, in, a, in the context of sacrifices. Um, and yet, it's not wholly and unequivocally negative. It actually is, of course, sprinkled and placed on the altar. Um, it doesn't just represent death. It also represents life and, and birth, right? We have uh, um, uh, the, the, the sense that there is a theme of birth throughout this story. And in fact, on this evening when the nation is being born, it's interesting that they leave their houses with the doorposts and the lintel stained with blood, right, which suggests as um, Michael Hatton has suggested in an interesting shiur that he wrote on the VBM, it suggests that they have left the protected womb and they've ventured out into the daylight. There's something rather exciting about this possibility that, in fact, the blood here is not used to represent death, but rather is used to represent rebirth. Um, now, at the same time, there are several other uh, allusions that I think we have here in this verse, which describes 
what they're meant to do with the blood. Um, one seems to be an allusion to Mechirat Yosef, to the sale of Yosef. And if you look here, of course, we have the words Vishachatu, right? We have the slaughtering, but we also have the words Utvaltem Badam, you should dip it in the blood. These words recall the brothers dipping Yosef's coat into the blood in order to deceive their father. This story seems to at least entail some measure of a tikkun, some measure of fixing that story in order to leave Egypt. They have to recall and perhaps also uh, deliberately and consciously reverse the sin that brought them there. Um, and instead they use these same, same actions in order to serve God. At the same time, though, the daubing of the blood, which is uh, seems to be the center of this mitzvah, at least as it's described here, um, is described here with the word vihigatem, and you should smear the blood. This recalls the description of the circumcision of Tsipora in the rather mysterious story back in Shmot Perak Dalid, where we're told that she takes the blood, the same word is used there, you should smear it, you should apply it, to his legs. Um, the Ibn Ezra already notes this connection. Both of these events seem to sort of frame the story with blood, blood that involves some sort of service to God that maybe also indicates Am Yisrael's uh, total commitment to God, Am Yisrael's willingness even to, uh, to use blood in their service of God. In fact, uh, both the blood of the Milah and the blood of the Korban Pesach, according to the Midrash, are mixed together in order to be placed on the lintel. And that's perhaps because of the connection both between the mitzvah of Korban Pesach and the mitzvah of Milah. As we know, halachically, they are connected. You cannot eat from the Korban Pesach if you have not had Milah. And of course, these are the only two mitzvot, which even though they are positive commandments, they entail a punishment of karate, a punishment of being cut off if one does not do them. They're actually the only two positive commandments that are in this category that involve the punishment of karate, thereby indicating that anyone who does not involve themselves in these mitzvot are actually not part of Am Yisrael, have made some sort of pronouncement that they're not interested in being part of Am Yisrael. And it's, I think, very significant that as we leave um, the land of Egypt and we embark upon this new path, of being a community, these two mitzvot are very prominent ones. Um, and of course, uh, that may also explain the fact that this recalls that story, that initial story in which um, uh, you know, Moshe, Moshe and Tzipporah um, are, are, are coming down to Egypt and there's some sort of circumcision there. This may also explain why Moshe is particularly the one who is involved in conveying this command to the people here and not Aharon. And I said that there's a certain focus here on Moshe. Okay, let's go on. Pasuk Kaf Gimel. Ve'avar Adonai lingof et Mitzrayim v'ra'ah et adam al hamashkof ve'al shetei hamezuzot u'fasach Adonai al hapetach v'lo yitain hamashchit lavo el batechem lingof. And God will pass over to smite the Egyptians and he will see the blood that is on the lintel and on the two doorposts and he shall pass over the doorway, and he will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses in order to smite. 
So what we have here, again, is it's in continuation of the last Pasuk, where we're told that nobody can leave their houses until the morning. The sense is, is that the house has become a place of safety. We mentioned in a previous class that perhaps the house functions as some sort of altar that offers immunity. In any case, they seem to close themselves up in their houses in an act of service to God and also creating a kind of community that defines itself through separation and through service to God. And this is what is going to enable the, 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 them to, to be saved on this night in which so much death is, is swirling around. Um, the other point that I think that is interesting here is that God sees the blood. Where is this blood, in fact, smeared? Well, it's on the lintels and it's on the two doorposts, but it actually there's actually a machloka, there's a debate between um, Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Natan on the one hand, and Rabbi Yitzchak on the other hand, it's a debate that appears in the Mechilta as to where exactly the, the blood was placed. Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Natan suggest that it was, the blood was put on the inside of the doorpost, whereas Rabbi Yitzchak says that the blood was placed on the out the outer part of the doorpost. Now, this certainly does not make a difference in terms of whether God will be able to see it. God can see the blood, whether it's in the on the inside or on the outside. But it, it seems to suggest two different ideas with regard to this blood. Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Natan regard the blood as a means of reinforcing the commitment to God um, it, by the people inside. It, the blood is there so that the people inside can see the blood and be reminded of the great act of commitment that they have undertaken, whereas Rabbi Yitzchak seems to suggest that the blood is on the outside in a place that the Egyptians could see it. The blood smearing here is an act not of commitment, but of separation, perhaps even provocation, a very distinctive sign that Am Yisrael has separated from the Egyptians. Okay, let's go on. Pasuk Kafei. We have a pasuk which also regards this act as something that is meant to be done for generations. Ushmartem etadavar hazeh lechok lecha uvanecha ad olam, and you should observe this thing as a statute for you and your children forever. Vehaya kitavo el haaretz asher yiten Adonai lachem kasher diber. Ushmartem et hazot. And now, when you will come to the land that God will give you, as He has said, and you shall observe this worship. Um, now, from the shot here, and the Ibn Ezra it, uh, seems to, to uh, note this, or doesn't seem to know he notes this as well. Um, this act which you are meant to observe, this statute which you are meant to observe, it sounds like it's the blood service. Um, and yet the Mepharshim here are going to say uh, very unequivocally that it's not the blood service. This act that we're meant to do for generations harks back to the words in the very first pasuk that we read today, verse 21, that you should slaughter the paschal sacrifice. That's what you're meant to do for generations. And it will be when your children say to you, What is this service to you? And you should answer them and say, this is the paschal sacrifice to God when God passed over the houses of Amis of Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, Mitzrayim. Or we mentioned that the word Pasach could also mean 
God had pity. Uh, we mentioned uh, also that it can mean God saved. There are several translations of the word pasach, but in fact, whatever it was that God, God did here involved saving Am Yisrael when he struck the Egyptians and he saved our houses. And the nation um, prostrated themselves and they bowed down. Significantly here, I think uh, it's important to note how uh, deeply when we talk about the, uh, co the continuity of how we're going to implement, in fact, these, um, these mitzvot, how much we gear them to our children, to the next generation. It even involves a question and answer, which we know is very much part of the uh, Seder of the um, of the Seder that we have every year in order to commemorate Pesach. We're very interested in the way in which our children respond to these uh, to these commands, and we're interested in their questions, uh, whether or not this question is meant to be a negative assessment of the future that they'll be actually questioning skeptically, or whether this is simply a positive kind of curiosity, that's actually a debate among the uh, among the different biblical interpreters. But in any case, I think that it's very important to know that we're very focused on the children and how they are going to incorporate these mitzvot into their future. Here we have the nation prostrating themselves, bowing down. This is the first time that we've seen this since the end of Perak Dalid, before we had the moment when Am Yisrael were unable to respond to Moshe's promise of Geulah because they were too overworked. Before that, of course, when Moshe had first come to Egypt with this promise of salvation, at that moment they had prostrated themselves um, and bowed down in their initial hopefulness. And this moment restores us back to that initial hopefulness and also, of course, creates a very nice frame for the story. Um, th this section ends with Vayalchu Vayasu Yisrael a very harmonious pasuk, and they went, and the children of Israel did that which God had commanded Moshe and Aaron, so they did. There's a very strong sense of everything here working harmoniously, and perhaps this is also meant to indicate the change that they have experienced as well during the course of these plagues. The plagues themselves affect not only the Egyptians, not only Paro and his servants, but also B'nai Israel, who are actually seeing God advocating on their behalf and are beginning to believe in Moshe's promise, promise of salvation. Uh, in the next pasuk, of course, we're going to see the beginning of the implementation of that actual, that actual geulah, that actual salvation. So let's now look in pasuk kaftet. Vayhi b'chatsi halayla v'adunai hika and it was at the midpoint of the night, and God struck every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Paro, who is meant to sit on his throne, until the firstborn of the captive, who is in the, the Beit Habor, the house of the pit, the dungeon, and all of the firstborns of the animal. So here we have the midpoint of the night. This certainly seems to be the turning point. The, the day is the time of redemption. The midpoint of the night is the turning point of the night, the moment when day seems to be uh, attainable, when day is closer than night. Certainly the focus of this pasuk is 
um, are the Egyptians and the Bechor of the Egyptians, the firstborn of the Egyptians. Every firstborn in the entire in the entire place is um, is destroyed in order to make the point that we previously saw that uh, Paro has taken God's firstborn. And therefore, God will take all of the Egyptians firstborn. The skipping over of the Jewish houses is entirely left out here. Uh, the focus is on the Egyptians, their, uh, their death, which is both uh, comprehensive and sudden. And the moment we're going to see also terrible. The other point that I think is it's difficult to miss is the allusion to Yosef, who was in the boar, and he was also in the, the Beit HaBor, right? It, the brothers threw him into this boar, into this pit. And later on, of course, when he gets to Egypt, he's thrown into prison after the story with the wife of Potiphar. And the prison there is also at one point called the boar, right? That, that dungeon. So once again, we have an allusion to Yosef. Uh, that certainly indicates to us what we've seen before, which is that uh, this story needs to sort of come full circle. Um, and we recall the Yosef story as we are exiting Egypt in order to recall perhaps also partially what it was that brought us there, the terrible events of um, enmity between brothers that brought the children of Yaakov down to Mitzrayim in the first place. The Yaakov Paro Laila. And Paro got up at night, he and all of his servants and all of Egypt. And there was a terrible outcry in Egypt, for there was no house which did not have a, um, a dead person there. So here, this is certainly the fulfillment of what Paro, uh, of what Moshe had told Paro back in chapter 11 in Karakun Aleph. Um, when, Moshe, when Moshe had told Paro what was going to happen on this night. In fact, the fulfillment here is very, very, very similar to the way in which Moshe had uh, described the events to Paro. Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Vayikral Moshe u'aron Laila, and he called to Moshe and to Aaron in the night, Vayomer, and he said, Kumu mitoch ami, get up and leave from the midst of my nation. Gamatem, gam Israel. Also you and also the children of Israel, and go and serve God just as you had spoken. Also your sheep and also your cattle, you should take just as you spoke and go, and you shall also bless me. So Paro here calls Moshe and Aaron in the night. He tells them, get up, leave. He, it, this represents, I think, a total collapse of his authority. You can leave exactly the way that you had said. Twice he uses the word daberchem. Uh, Once kidaberchem, the second time kasher dibarchem. Just as you said, you could take everything you want with you. No conditions, no strings attached. Just leave. Uh, what's interesting is that Paro speaks to Moshe and Aaron. And they don't answer, right? There certainly seems to be a victory here. Perhaps that victory is enhanced by the fact that they don't answer. Perhaps they don't answer simply because they can't really leave their houses um, during the night. So perhaps they're not even uh, able to really um, come out and speak to Paro. In any case, Paro now asks them to bless him, which is a very interesting moment. Uh, Rashi here, or the, the Midrash here, suggests that um, because Paro himself 
is a Bechor. He is a firstborn, so he's asking for special protection. That's one Midrash. Other Midrashim go in different directions. I think that what's uh, important here is that this is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through him other nations will obtain blessing and that Paro is recognizing that the only recourse to obtain um, some sort of you know, uh, good fortune and blessing is through the medium of Moshe and Aaron, meaning by directing his address and his pleas towards God. Uh, now let's see actually what happens in Pasuk Lamed Gimel. And the Egyptians grabbed hold of the nation to quickly send them out of the land, for they said, we are all dead. Right. So there's this sense that Am Yisrael are being forced out quickly and perhaps even against their will. There's not a sense that they are uh, excited and voluntarily going. Again, we don't really know what is happening with Am Yisrael, but we do see that the Egyptians are very much pushing them out. We're now going to turn our attention to Am Yisrael and what they're doing. And Amisrael picked up their dough, which had not yet leavened, from the Misharotam Tsurot, is a bit of a difficult um, uh, translation here, their kneading bowls they wrapped up, the Simlotam in their clothing, Al Shichmam, and they put it on their shoulders. In other words, Misha'arotam here seems to be their kneading bowls. Perhaps also it could be their leftovers. It could be, in fact, the, the dough. Whatever it was, they wrapped it up very quickly. They didn't have time to prepare. And so they just wrapped up whatever was there, even though it had not yet leavened, and placed it on their shoulders in order to be able to take it out of Egypt with them. Uh, I did want to note that the word Misha'arotam here recalls, in fact, the plague of frogs, right? We've already had an allusion to the plague of Dam. Here we have, we recall that the frogs had gone into the Misharot, which we translated there, either the kneading bowls or the place where the leftovers were, uh, the place where people kept their leftover food. The word Sha'ar, right, it probably either means leftovers or the place where the leftovers were kept. Uh, in any case, we have here perhaps the sort of closing of the cycle of that, that began with the plagues. Here we have an allusion to the plague of frogs. Now this moment of redemption uh, is, is the end of that whole process. Pasuk Lamed Hei, Uvnei Yisrael Asu Kidvar Moshe. And Bnei Yisrael did like the word of Moshe. And they borrowed from Egypt vessels of silver and vessels of gold and clothing. And we actually never saw Moshe commanding the people to do this. We did have uh, we did have this mitzvah several times. We did have this idea several times. Um, and, and so therefore we know that there are certain things that even if we don't hear Moshe actually commanding the people, he did command them. It's just not always repeated. Um, and so they went and they did borrow these um, uh, silver and gold and uh, clothing from Egypt. We, we discussed this a little bit before. I'm not going to discuss it at great length. I will just mention that there is something, I think, very significant about the fact that Am Yisrael leave Egypt not in tattered rags, not as some sort of uh, ragged bunch of slaves, but rather wearing fine jewelry, wearing clothes, 
They leave with a certain amount of dignity. And all of this is, is, is part of, I think, the larger goal, which is not just to get Am Yisrael to freedom, but rather to give them a new path, to teach them to be a, a, uh, a nation that leads, a nation that is a princely nation in terms of their ability to serve and, rec and, and teach about God. Pasuk Lamed Vav, V'adunai Natan Etchen Ha'am B'nei Mitzrayim V'yashilum V'yinatzlu Et Mitzrayim. And God gave the favor of, of um, the people in the eyes of Egypt, and they borrowed from them, or and they lent them, and they despoiled Egypt. So this is the fulfillment both of Brit Ben Habitarim, of the covenant between the pieces, in Bereshit, Perak Tetvav, when God told Avraham that, in fact, his nation will go down to a land that they don't know, but that they will emerge from that land, Yetzeu, Birchush Gadol, they will leave with great property, and this seems to be the fulfillment of that. Pasuk Lamezayin, Vayisu, Vnei Yisrael, Meiram says, Sukota, Keshesh, Veot, Elef, Ragli, Hagivarim, Levad, Mitaf. And the children of Israel traveled from Ramses to Sukkot, uh, approximately 600,000 men, aside from the children. Uh, the, the name Sukkot is probably um, a similar name that we find in Egyptian sources of a city called Feku, Sukkot, which is a city, a border city near, near Pitom, near the city of Paratum. Um, and uh, this is the direction that Am Yisrael is going in order to leave Egypt. Pasuk Lamedchet, v'gam erev rav ala itam, v'tzon uvakar mikne kaved me'od. Here's uh, more property that they leave with. But first we have this, also the mixed multitude goes up with them and sheep and cattle, uh, very heavy cattle, very heavy property, goes out with them, very much property. Um, now, we have several things here that I think are worthy of note. First of all, who are these Erev Rav? Who is this mixed multitude? There is a certain amount of um, disagreement about this. Does this involve other slaves who just sort of, you know, take the opportunity to jump on the bandwagon and uh, attach themselves to B'nai Israel, who are now leaving Egypt? Um, does it involve, as some of the Midrashim say, other Egyptians who actually... Um, you know, recognize God and really do want to join themselves to this 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 uh, new and emerging um, role of Am Yisrael. Um, in any case, though, we have in the continuation of this pasuk, uh, aside from the mixed multitudes that go with them, we also have all these animals, which lends itself to the possibility that this Erev Rav is just more property, that it's just more mixture of uh, animals that are going with them. In any case, though, I would note something else, which is that Erev Rav reminds us of Makat Arov. Right? So there's really a lot of illusion here as they leave to the series of Makot, even the words mikne, kaved, me'od, right? So we have the words kaved, me'od in several of the <clears throat> in several of the plagues, which were called very explicitly plagues that are kaved, me'od, including dever, and of course the mikne also reminds us of the dever yad Hashem hu miknecha. The hand of God will be on your mikne, and so now we see that Am Yisrael they emerge from Egypt not having been negatively affected, not having been adversely affected by these plagues. 
Instead, they emerge, the plagues for them facilitate their redemption. And so we have again the closing of the cycle of the plagues. Pasuk lametet vayofu et habatseik asher hotziu mimitzrayim ugot matzot kilo chametz. Ki goreshu mimitzrayim velo yachalu lihitmamea vegam tzeda lo asu lahem. And they baked the dough which they had taken out of Egypt into unleavened cakes because it did not leaven, for they were expelled from Egypt and they could not hesitate. And also provisions they could not make for themselves. So they did not make for themselves provisions because they had no time to plan. Um, the words lo yachlu, they could not, also recalls some of the, of the plagues, including kinim and shechin, lo yachlu, we had in both of those plagues, they could not, so here again we have this sort of sense of, um, of, of the closing of the plague story, which brings us to this moment. Uh, they could not hesitate, uh, suggest perhaps that they were not enthusiastically leaving Egypt, right? In fact, there is, we're, we're going to see as we progress that there is some measure of tension with regard to the question of whether or not they willingly eat, leave Egypt or they are in fact <clears throat> pushed out of Egypt. Here the word is Gorshum Mitzrayim. They were expelled from Egypt. They could not hesitate. This, of course, recalls the story of Lot and Stone. We've had many, many allusions to Lot and Stone. Perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit in our next shiur. But as we know, when Lot is uh, being told by the angels that he has to leave Stone because Stone is about to be annihilated by God, we have that very famous Vayit Mama, right? And he hesitated. It's famous because of the uh, Ta'am, of the Shalshelet that appears there, which uh, means that as when we say that word, when we read that word um, in, in on, on Shabbat, so we uh, spend a great deal of time on the word Vayit Mama, uh, which suggests to us that it was not easy for Lot to leave stone. It seems to be equally difficult for Am Yisrael to leave Egypt. These are, of course, both prosperous societies that are also marked by their immorality. It is difficult to leave a prosperous society even if it is clear that that society is immoral. I think that's one of the uh, messages here, and perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit more next time. Let's conclude today's shiur with these final two psukim, which seem to be, really seem to have some sort of uh, ceremonious conclusion to this section. Umoshav b'nei Yisrael asher yashuvu b'mitzrayim shloshim shana ve'arbamot shana. And the dwelling of the children of Israel, at, that they dwelled in Egypt, were 430 years. And it was at the end of this 430-year period, and it was at the conclusion of the 430 years, and it was at the strength of that day, or in the substance of that day, all of the hosts of God left the land of Egypt. Lel shimurim hu ladonai lehotzi'am mi'eretz mitzrayim. Hu halayla hazeh ladonai shimurim lechol b'nei Yisrael ledorotam. It was a night of guarding for God or a night of vigil for God to take them out of Egypt. This night was for God. A vigil for all of b'nei Yisrael, for all of the children of Israel. For their generations. So I think that the sense here is that in these final verses, there is some sort of 
of, of almost ceremonious conclusion, this final idea of the Lil Shimurim, a night of vigil, a night of guarding, a night of God's protection over Israel. The word shomer is one of the to guard to um, is one of the key words of this chapter. It appears seven times, and these two appearances in verse 42 are the final two appearances. In every situation in which it appeared before this, the word is used to describe Am Yisrael observing the mitzvot and serving God. Here, however, it's Lel Shimurim Lahashem, but it's also Shimurim Lechov Yisrael. It seems to go in two different directions. He guards Am Yisrael, God guards Am Yisrael, and we also guard this night. This mutuality is the cornerstone of the, the, the relationship between God and his nation. This is a night of vigilance. It's a night of protection. It's a night of anticipation. And of course, it brings this 430-year period of the time in Egypt to a close. In our next class, we will have our final shi'or on Parshat Bo. We will begin in Parakyud Bet, Pasuk Mem Gimel.